0: All right, today's Communion Sunday, and I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Corinthians. We're going to talk about communion. I have had this sermon. I've tried to preach it, Justin, for about a month, and every time I got up to preach it, I got led a different way. But, but since this Communion Sunday, I need to preach it. 1 Corinthians you might put a marker in chapter 11, but I'm actually going to go through a lot of the book. I'll probably, hopefully, I'll wind up in John 13. And um, guys, as you're sitting there, pray for me. Mike prayed for me this morning. I appreciate it, Mike. I just feel so on fire right now. And I don't want to be up here burning. You know? I don't want to lose you guys. I could just preach. But I want to get this information, too. I just feel on fire with this. What, what's going on in my life is God is becoming so real to me. He's becoming so real to me. His Word and His truth. It's like I'm starting to get a glimpse into eternity, and I'm seeing I really don't live for this life. There really is an eternity, and, and life really is a vapor, and we're going to be there shortly. And I I turned last week, I turned 64 and if God blesses me, I may have a few more years of life. I've wasted so much of my life, uh, just, you know, wasting my life. I don't want to waste any more. Eternity has opened up to me. And I've asked God, I said, God, help me to focus every day on what is important. And the gospel is important. And since I'm a preacher and I'll have to stand before the Lord and answer for what I preach, I'm really praying for God's mercy that God will help me preach the truth. There are many spirits in this world, don't have time to preach it, many spirits in this world that try to oppose a man of God for preaching the truth. Many things try to oppose a man from preaching the truth, but I'm determined to preach the truth in the love of God. So my purpose, I wanna talk about communion. Today, That's one of my purposes, but I also want to review about how we can rightly divide the Word of God. I've taught on this before, but I want to show you in the book of Corinthians, when I get to chapter 11, and I could go beyond, but I want to show you how the Lord has taught me to rightly divide the Word of God. And I want to talk a little bit about communion and what communion is. I want to talk about our Savior. Paul was the apostle to the city of Corinth, and what that means was God sent Paul, and Paul started a church in the city of Corinth. Corinth was a pagan city. There was sexual immorality. There was um, an abundance of idleness and wickedness. There was a lot of wealth. There was uh, idolatry, of course. It was a pagan culture. It was the biggest city in Achaia, and uh, Rome had uh, outposts there. It was a huge city, but Paul went into Corinth, and he preached the gospel to pagan people, to idolaters. And Paul's Jewish, and he's the antithetical Jew. Paul, When Paul was around Corinthians, he's just the opposite of what a Corinthian would be. He's a holy Jewish rabbi and teacher. He was a Pharisee, a religious man, before he met Jesus, and now Jesus has turned his life Upside down, which Jesus does. And now this rabbi, this Jewish teacher, who uh, the Jews would have nothing to do with Gentiles, nothing to do with sinners, God has turned him upside down through the power of love and through the power of gospel that Paul is laying down his life for the Gentile people. And he's going from city to city. And he is the apostle of... The church at Corinth and in those days when the church first started there wasn't a Methodist Church and a Church of Christ and a Grace Point and an outpost and another even a separate Church of Christ right down the road and then there's another Church of Christ right down there there wasn't five or six or seven churches in the city it was one church it was the Church of God or the Church of Christ and over the years because of division satan has weakened the church because we're not unified which was jesus's purpose was to unify a collective group of people that would be zealous for god that would be on mission that would walk in unity that would bear their cross and follow jesus and establish his kingdom on the earth and god would use the church to do that and the people in the church but because of division and disagreements over time I read somewhere, and I don't know if it's true because I never counted them. There was like 28,000 denominations in the Protestant church. Now, I got to give the Catholics credit for something and the Greek Greek Orthodox. At least they just have one holy Roman church or Catholic church. Got to give them credit for that. Or the Greek Orthodox church, there's just one Greek Orthodox church. Maybe branches and, and flavors, but it's one church. I got to give them credit for that. Jesus didn't die so there'd be 28,000 churches, and certainly that there wouldn't be like 10 within a mile radius. There's really only one church. And when they went into a city and they established the church, there was apostolic authority. Apostolic authority is that that man that planted that church, he was the founder of that church, he had authority in that church. Someone say amen. And then uh, Paul would appoint elders and pastors And when he would leave, he would give authority to to the elders and the pastors. But as I have taught, and as I'm going to show again today, it was an authority of love. You read Paul's letters. Paul had legitimate, real authority, but you could tell sometimes Paul struggled because he wanted to correct people and set them right. And on the other hand, he you know, he said, I didn't come to visit you because I wanted to spare you. I wanted to spare you. I, I, I didn't want to come with the rod. I wanted to come in meekness. He said, in fact, I came in weakness. I came in trembling. I came in gentleness. I was gentle like a father among you. Because... Paul had real authority from God, and that authority, when God changes a man, and that man embraces the cross, he will use that authority to help people and build people up. Someone say amen. It's just like a dad when you get saved. I don't know. There's good dads out there that probably aren't saved, but a good dad is going to take his authority, and he's going to use it to correct his children, to teach his children, To instruct his children but he is going to love his children in fact the Bible says if you don't correct your children you don't love them someone say amen that's good preaching right there now you correct them because children in their hearts it says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child and the rod of correction will drive it far from them you have to correct your children it says when you do they'll give you rest And some of us that didn't correct our children enough, we know uh, what it's like not to have rest with your children. Well, Paul is a father, and he is going to use correction, but because he has been to the cross and he has embraced the cross, his authority is always bound up with love. He wants to build up. He's not trying to vaunt himself up. He said, I don't mind if I'm abased, And your kings, I wish you were kings in my place. He says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for you. My heart is for you. My heart is for your edification. That's where I'm at. But sometimes he would have to step in and correct things. And the book of Corinthians, I called it a messy church. This whole letter Is the Apostle Paul loving these people well? And he's coming in there and he said, I got to set some things in order because this church is messy and it's chaotic. These people were all saved by grace through faith and that not of themselves. They were genuinely saved, but they were messing up, and Paul was trying to bring them back on the right path. So flip with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I can't read. Through the whole book, I would like to, but I want to show you a pattern before we get into chapter 11 and communion. I want to show you a pattern here in Paul's thinking. Hayden, make sure we pray for you today. Aren't you going to college this week? Okay. Verse 4. Now, you know, go down to, go down to uh, verse 10. Verse 10. Paul says, I appeal to you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and there be no divisions among you. That takes a miracle. That takes God. I appeal. Now, look look at his language. Paul often, sometimes he'll command But Paul likes to beseech, he likes to urge, he likes to appeal, right? That's his first effort. He's appealing, he's beseeching. That all of you agree and there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, and that is the mind of Christ, and the same judgment, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, there's quarreling among you. One says, I follow Paul, one says, I follow Apollos, one says, I follow Cephas, the other says, I follow Christ. I love this. He said, is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? He's not divided. There's only one body of Christ. And, you know, there's Christians over there at the Methodist Church today, and there's Christians over at other churches and truly, if you're really baptized into Christ, there's only one body. There's not a thousand bodies, there's one. That's why they met as a city, a, a, a city church. He says, Christ is not divided. And then, he, and then Paul, and I can't get into all of this, but immediately Paul points to the cross. And I want you to think, Paul comes out the gate talking about division and then he immediately goes into a message, and he starts talking about the cross. Why would Paul start talking about the cross? As soon as he's talked about division, he starts appealing to the cross of Christ. There's forgiveness at the cross. Yes, there has to be forgiveness at the cross of Christ and for among one another. He's pointing to the cross. He's talking. He says, the word of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, But to us that believe, it's the power of God. says, the cross of Christ is foolishness to people that are after philosophy. That's the Greeks or the Gentiles. The cross is foolishness. He says, to the religious, the cross is a stumbling block. The Jews wanted a king that would come and slaughter their enemies in front of them and set up a temple, and they would have a victorious king. The Greeks, or the philosophers, wanted wisdom and insight and understanding to think their way to salvation. And Paul says what God did was he sent his son, and he was crucified on a cross. It is foolishness to the Greek, and it's a stumbling block to the Jews, but to us that believe Christ is the power of God. And he comes out the gate and talks about this because, and I believe as we go further, you're going to see this more and more, because in order for us to walk in unity, we have to do more than embrace the cross as that's something that Jesus did, As Christians, we have to embrace the cross as a place where we die. You will never be unified. A church or a people or a group of people will never be unified without embracing the message of the cross. That is where your will dies and God's will reigns. Paul's going to exhibit as we go forward what exactly that looks like. So he comes out the gate, and he's saying the cross is God's power. The cross is the place where you die to your will, and God's will is birthed in you, and there's power in it. There's power to change your life, but there's power to change your neighbor. There's power to change your family. There's power to change your Christian community. The world truly cannot be unified, and never will be unified. You might rally around a football team or something, you know, and you all have the Ohio State Buckeyes in common. You have some unity there, but to really walk in unity, we have to embrace the cross. I got more to say about that over here in chapter three. Let's let's keep moving here. Over in chapter three, he says. Uh, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but you are people of the flesh. You're babies in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still in the flesh. Because there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not behaving like mere men or in a human way? He's saying you're dividing Once I'm over here and I'm over here, there's jealousy and there's strife and really there's backbiting and there's gossip and all of these actions, If we know these are attributes of the flesh. He says, you're walking in the flesh. You're not embracing the cross. You're not embracing the work of God. You're acting like humans and he's already pointed them to the grace of God where the cross where you die to yourself and the power of God is resurrected in your life and he's urging them and he's preaching to them, and he's talking to them, and he's trying to get them to a position where they'll take a more uh, spiritual view. No gossip is a spiritual person. Someone say amen. Amen. He even goes on, and Jeff, I think you and I in times past have talked about this, and I've come to see this scripture different. Uh, He talks about in, in, in that same chapter, chapter, he talks about destroying the temple of God. And I don't know, like I used to think he meant like you're smoking, or anybody ever thought that, like you're destroying the temple? So, well, I mean, you need to take care of your temple, the body of God. But honestly, as I've read this in context more and more over the years, what I see Paul is talking about destroying the temple is you're coming into that body, the body of Christ, and you're destroying the body of Christ. How? Through strife backbiting, gossip, slander, whatever you're doing. When they come in, so he's warning them, hey, don't destroy the temple. It's not smoking. That's bad. You don't want to smoke. It's, 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 you know, smoke is not good. Your body is the temple of Christ. And right before that, he's even up talking about teachers coming in and teaching stuff they shouldn't. And you can teach the body of Christ falsely, and you can destroy the temple by getting people to leave their first love, uh, teaching false doctrine, like once you're saved, you're always saved. You can destroy the temple. But he said, hey, he said that you don't deceive yourself. If anybody thinks he's wise in this age, let him become a fool to become wise, for the wisdom of this world is folly with God. Isn't that powerful? What I want to show you as we're heading to communion is everything in this letter, Paul is addressing things that separate people, division, and he's giving you the answer in the gospel, the cross of Jesus Christ. He's going to point to it again and again and again. He rolls into chapter 5, and I I can't get into it too long but a guy is sleeping with his father's wife, probably his stepmother in some way, and Paul even tells the church, and he gets into judging here. I remember, you're talking, talking to me about that, Charlie. He gets into judging here. This man, he's coming to church, he's fellowshipping, and yet he is sleeping with his father's wife. How many think that's probably not a good idea? Amen. And I'm not saying I even totally understand this. I've never done it. But he tells them that this guy is bringing leaven into the church, into the body. And that guy's sin is bringing judgment into the body. And he actually told them, turn this guy over to the devil for the destruction of his flesh. So his spirit will be saved in the day of of Christ. He says, I am there with you. As present, because he had apostolic authority, turn this guy over to the devil because he's sleeping. And in the last verse, he tells them, purge the evil person from outside you. Listen to this. You you need to listen to this. Verse 11 of chapter 5, he says, But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. This is the person that says he's a Christian. And he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or idolatry or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with that person. That sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? Did you know that was in there? That's pretty powerful. He says, for what do I do with judging outsiders is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. That's pretty stout, isn't it? And you you, you don't in our day in in our hour you don't hear a lot about these things. Paul's motive is to protect the church. He's protecting the church. He's not doing it because he's an angry man that uh, is bitter and judgmental. He's protecting the church. Then he rolls in that I'm going somewhere. We're talking about division. We're talking about the cross. We're talking about communion. Then he goes into chapter 6. He's correcting something again. Now there are brothers and sisters in the Lord that are suing each other in court. And Paul was saying, hey, why are you taking your brother to court? He said, even the least, the, the least intelligent person in your congregation, you could judge and make a decision, and you would come up with a better decision than a secular court. Isn't there somebody in your church that could judge in this situation? He says, in fact, in embracing the cross, he says, why not rather be wronged than take your brother to court? That's the mind of Christ. Why not rather be sinned against? Why not rather take the injury and be hurt rather than destroy the body of Christ? He goes on in chapter 7. I'm going to give you a big picture of what Paul's doing here. What's Paul doing in Corinthians? What's he doing in here? He goes on in chapter 7 and uh, there was the potential for single women to be defrauded. Uh, men weren't marrying them, or they were, or it could even be fathers holding their virgin daughters. And Paul's telling you, be honorable, marry them. He's setting uh, correction. If you're willing to get married, you should get married. Don't defraud them by sexual immorality or burning in lust. He says you should get married. Who's Paul talking to here? The church. We're not talking to the community at large here paul is bringing correction into the church how many of you know i'm going to get quiet how many of you know the bible says without holiness no man will see the lord how many of you know that you know i've been thinking more and more i don't know what i don't want to be a pastor going to heaven and, and people running around in rock of sin And you got to stand before the lord and say well you saw all that going on why didn't you say something about it it's for your good you can't be in raucous sin and then go stand before god and the bible says without holiness no man will see the lord it's a kind of serious message isn't it charlie then he goes in talks about food offered to idols and the whole point, I'll read a couple verses. Again, Paul was bringing correction. He's bringing correction because he's their father, because he loves them, and he's trying to help them. And, and his real point about food sacrifice to idols is that you would not sin against your brother or sister. Again, it's the cross. I will deny myself, so I will not sin against you. I will turn my cheek, I will not resist evil, I'll keep my mouth quiet so I don't sin against the body and bring division into the body, I will embrace the cross. And that's what he's teaching here from the very beginning. He says down here about food sacrificed to idols, he says, thus sinning against your brother, you wound their conscience when it is weak. And you sin against who? That's verse 12, chapter 8. Who do you sin against when you wound your brother's conscience? Christ. You sin against Christ. Remember we taught Christ is a body? Therefore, this is the cross of Christ. This is the love of God. This is the wisdom of God. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. That's embracing the cross. I'll deny myself meat so you can live. So I won't wound your conscience. He rolls into chapter 9. Verse 19, same message. He says, though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win some. To the weak I become, this is verse 22, chapter 9. To the weak I become weak. That I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. It says, I will become weak. I'll become all things to all people. Paul was not interested in, he was an apostle. He wasn't interested in position or title, he wasn't interested in his own reputation. He was like Jesus. He made himself of no reputation. Paul went through too much to think that he was doing this for some motive of his selfishness. He was doing it because he loved Jesus, and he knew Jesus died for these people, and he's a love slave to Jesus. So he's embracing this life of self-denial in Christ. Chapter 10, and we're, we're getting to chapter 11 here. Chapter 10, verse 24, he says, Let no one seek his own good, but let him seek the good of his neighbor. There it is again. See? Don't look out for your own. This is what Philippians chapter 2. Don't look out for your own interests. Look out for the interest of others. Remember, Paul's correcting division here. He's correcting schisms. And he's bringing correction. He's, he's teaching them how to embrace the cross so we can walk in unity. He does the same thing in Ephesians. He says, We need to endeavor, be forbearing and patient with one another, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is the message of Christ seek the other's good. Down in verse 33, he says, Just as I try to please everyone, in everything i do not seeking my own advantage not seeking my own advantage and then he says be an imitator of me as i imitate christ this is a self-denying laid down lover he's not doing it for himself he's doing it for jesus can you talk about discipleship, taking up your cross. This is what God's called us all to do. You want know, to see that husband get saved, that wife get saved, those kids get saved. When you, when I defend myself, I lose the opportunity for God to defend me i forfeited my right for God to defend me. So then he rolls into chapter 11. I'm, I taught on the woman question there on the video. You can watch that on YouTube in chapter 11, but I'm going to skip that. And then he goes in and talks about the Lord's Supper. And here, <clears throat> here I want to camp for a second. He's gone all this way, and he has one message correcting the body, look out for the other person's interests. Let's don't be divided. Let's rally around the message of the cross. Let's deny ourselves. Let's live for others. And now I want to talk to you about communion, and there's more correction going on here when they take communion. He says in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Now, what does that mean to you? He doesn't commend them. Yeah, he's not praising them in it. I don't commend you. You're not taking communion right. And bear that in mind, Paul was clearly telling them they're not taking communion right. And he's going to tell you how they're not taking communion right. And he's going to tell them at the end of the chapter how they should be taking communion. So you've got to take things in context, what Paul's trying to teach here. Take the whole thing in context, where he's going. I don't have time today, but if you go to chapter 12, he's going to stick on this same theme. Chapter 13, he's going to talk about love, the most excellent way, how we get along with one another, how we deny ourselves and live for Christ. Same with chapter 14, how we operate in the gifts. And he's going to go back to the cross in chapter 15. So this whole letter, he's being a correction, he's pointing to the cross, he's talking about being self Denying and how to exalt Jesus Christ. Someone say amen. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. So he's telling them when you're gathering, you're coming together for the worse. It's not making things better. It's getting worse. Now, I don't think that about Grace Point. Okay, I don't. My message today is more an appeal to unity, to this church, that we stay in unity. And this is how we stay in unity, number one, an appeal to embracing the cross, to discipleship to really following Jesus. And you cannot follow Jesus unless you deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. You will find out that when you pick up your cross, the cross that you're picking up is really Jesus' cross. The Holy Spirit will work the cross of Jesus right into your heart, He will work. He'll come at fear in your life and he'll put the cross to it. He'll come at judgment in your life. He'll come at strife in your life. He'll come at backbiting in your life, rebellion, insubordination, all those nasty spirits. He will come there and he'll put the cross of Jesus on that and he will set you free. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Whoever the Son sets free is really free. I can be free from bitterness. I can be free from unforgiveness. I can be free from hurts. I can embrace the cross where I die. Oh God, and how I want to die to myself. How I want to die to unforgiveness. What a burden not to forgive people. What a burden to be bitter. What a burden to be wounded all the time. What a burden that is when if we embrace the cross, we die and we forgive and we lay down our lives and we find real freedom in Jesus. The freedom of being in Christ. Hallelujah. It excites me. Praise the Lord. Galatians 6.14 says, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of Jesus Christ. God forbid that I should boast. Except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, where the world is crucified to me, and I am crucified to the world. Isn't that beautiful? The Holy Spirit takes that cross and applies it into your marriage. Wife, if you're not under your husband's authority, let the cross work right there. The Bible says over and over again, you're under his headship. Husband, if you're a domineering, authoritative man, selfish, not laying down your life for your wife and your family, let Jesus peer into your heart, examine your motives, examine your heart, let him put the cross of Jesus right there. Praise God. There's nothing that the cross of Jesus Christ does not solve in your life. I got a message. It's probably my next one. I've been wanting to preach it. The Lord has not let me preach it on healing and forgiveness. Healing comes out of forgiveness. The, the cross is where forgiveness comes, and out that forgiveness, healing comes. Can't preach it. I, I'll get distracted, Jeff. I'll, get, I'll, I'll lose my way here. Psalms 103, I want to go there. Healing and forgiveness. I don't commend you. And here he goes, again he says, first of all, I hear you come together for the worse. I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized when you come together, is it not for the Lord's supper? that you eat, for in eating, and here's his correction right here, for in eating, one goes ahead with his own meal, while another goes hungry, and another gets drunk, what, don't you have homes to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God, and humiliate those who have nothing, what do I say to this, shall I commend you in this, shall I praise you in this, I will not praise you, so you know the problem. They're not waiting for one another. They're stepping on one another. They're being selfish. In this whole letter, Paul's been dealing with it. Now he's, he continues to deal with it. Then he takes them to Jesus as the example. He says, I receive from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that which the Lord Jesus on the night when he was uh, betrayed, He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you do, and drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want to talk about proclaiming the Lord's death. There are a multitude of phenomenal and great teachers that teach divine healing here, and I do not believe they're wrong. You get divine healing from the body of Christ, and you can get healed taking communion, discerning the Lord's body. But to stay consistent with Paul's theme here, he is dealing with something beyond healing, and you'll see it in therefore is coming up here. I'm just going to read it. He says, therefore, therefore, whoever eats this, uh, eats this bread and drinks this cup in an unworthy manner. An unworthy manner means you're doing it wrong. And he's already told them how they're doing it wrong. They're stepping on each other. And I will not praise you in that. He's told them. And it's pretty obvious that he's already told him, And he's got to tell him again, too. And he says, um, let a person examine himself. And I've heard this taught different ways. When Paul says, let a person examine himself, he's telling you to examine yourself. He's told you to examine the body of Christ. And now he's telling you to examine yourself, that you're not taking communion in an unworthy manner. Then, after you have examined yourself, let a person examine himself. Then, so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who uh, eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why so many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Now well, listen to this. If we judged ourselves, does he tell them to judge themselves? Let me read it again then. But if we judged ourselves, he tells them to judge themselves. And he gives them the reason why. Tells them to examine themselves. He tells them to judge themselves. And he says, if we judged ourselves, then we would not be judged by the Lord. When we are disciplined. So that we may not be condemned with the world. He says, if you judge yourself, you won't be judged by the Lord and condemned with the world. I'm not going to add anything to it. That's what he says. And then, then here's a therefore. It's the second therefore. So he said, I've said all of that. Therefore, my brothers, therefore, when you come together, wait for one another. That references back to earlier where I read they weren't waiting for one another. He sums it up, and he says, wait for one another. Therefore, wait for one another. If you're hungry, eat at home. He's bringing them back to earlier in this chapter so that when you come together... When you come together, it will not be for judgment. One of the things, and i got one more scripture, and I'm going to end, and I have so much more. I really do. I, I flashed through this to get to that point. One of the things that Paul is definitely saying, and I'm not, I mean, there are great teachers that really emphasize healing, and I see it in there, but one of the things Paul is telling them is if you're stepping on each other, you're not discerning the body of Christ and you're not honoring one another. You can bring judgment on yourself, how you're treating one another. Tells them in chapter eight, they wound the body of Christ. Tells them in chapter three, you can destroy the temple. Don't, don't destroy the temple. Don't do that. And he's, he's warned them. Then he goes on again and he talks about the way of love and how we should be living and gives more correction. Now what's amazing to me in John 13 and I really do wish I had more time to go into John 13 but this is exactly when we examine the communion of Jesus when when Jesus gave communion in John 13 Charlie before he gave communion he was teaching on love and he's going to go in to chapter 14, 15 and 16, 17 these are the great chapters of Jesus's teaching on unity and love. He goes in and he's talking to them about loving one another. He's gonna tell them the new commandment, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give you, love one another. Jesus, before communion or during communion, is gonna gird himself with the towel. Gonna to gird himself with the towel. He is gonna bend down. He's the Lord. He's Jesus. He's the King. If anybody ever had authority on the earth, it's Jesus, and he is going to bend down on one knee during communion, and he's going to say, if I am the Lord, and I am, and I'm bending my knee to you, and I'm washing your feet, how should, how should you live? I'm telling you, bend your knee, wash your brother's feet. That's what being a Christian is. It's embracing the message of the cross. He tells them, as often as you do this, remember me. That communion was the blood and body of Jesus that he gave for the sins of the world. He shed his blood on that cross, and he's telling them to remember it. He gave his life on that cross, and he's telling them to remember it. Isn't that beautiful? It's powerful. He says, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Now get this. The nature of the cross, and I I see this more and more. If you didn't think about anything else, Mikey, think about this, because this is powerful. Jesus is doing that to a man that's going to betray him. I think within the hour, he's got to give a great message. And uh, Judas, the guy that he's washing his feet, that guy's gonna betray him just within moments. And Jesus knows it, and he washes his feet. That's the beauty of Christ. He didn't come to judge the world, he came to save the world. Then this this is powerful too. His favorite, or his uh, number one, not his favorite, but his, you know, follower that he really poured into the most, Peter. Peter's going to deny him three times. This is the cross of Christ. He's going to deny him three times. And then the rest of them, when Jesus is stripped and beaten, they are going to run for the hills. And they're going to run from Jesus. And he is going to love them all the way through it. That's how you win the world. That's how you win your family. That's how you win your neighbor. Amen. You love them all the way through it. That's the gospel message. That's don't resist evil. That's turn the other cheek. That's go the extra mile. That's what happened in communion when Jesus gave communion. He was betrayed, he was denied. And he loved them right through it. And then we know in his resurrection, all except for Judas, they, he got him back. And those 12 men changed the whole world. They saw it. So when we take communion, and I'm not, you know, um, you, you, you don't have to go through some spiritual contortion. But when we take communion, we're celebrating the body and blood of Jesus and his sacrificial death. And we should examine ourselves. And I think one thing for the believer, if you're an unbeliever, you shouldn't really be taking communion. It's for believers. But if you have bitterness in your heart, you have judgment in your heart, and unforgiveness, you should examine yourself and deal with it. It's a great time to do it. Forgiveness, you see healing in there, right? Forgiveness and healing go hand in hand. He forgives all my iniquities. He heals all my diseases. They just go hand in glove. I'm forgiven. I'm healed. I'm forgiven. I'm healed. So if that's you, it's got to be somebody, then you need to lay it down today as you're taking communion. I went over a little bit. Um, Charlie, can you bring the elements up here? The elders, come on up. We're going to take communion. And I understand, I know from the get go, it's a pretty serious message. But um, division and separation that's pretty serious too. You should examine yourself, particularly if you have unforgiveness. Unforgiveness, you can forgive in one second when you make your mind up to. One second. doesn't take a year. What I have found, if it takes a year, it usually doesn't happen unless God gets on that person and convicts them one second god forgave me of everything i've ever done i can forgive others one second you forgive it's a choice bitterness you can repent right now and say lord i am bitter toward this person and i repent wash me or you or you can harden your heart i encourage you to repentance here's what we're going to do elders i'm going to pray over this we're going to pass out the elements And then we're going to, I want you to separate off and uh, you can take communion with your family. Whatever you want to do, you can take communion. I would like to find someone you don't know maybe and take communion. But take it together. And when you're done, we can, you know, separate. But take communion in small groups together. So, Father, I pray over the elements, the body and the blood of Jesus, Lord. That blood was shed so our sins could be forgiven, Lord. We are forgiven. And the body was broken so we could be healed. And you bore our sins on that tree, and we're grateful for that. We recognize that. And, Lord, we want to be like you. We examine ourselves right now, and we let go of bitterness, strife, carnality, unforgiveness, Lord. We want to come together for the good. In Jesus' name, amen. here, guys.